This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Well, what a pleasure it is to be here this morning. I think I know most of you in the room, but if I don't know you, I'm Sarah. I've been at Seven for six years, seven years maybe. Um, I'm going to talk about my favourite Jesus story. I want to start with a question. I wonder if you have ever taught somebody something. I know that lots of you in the room work in education, and probably lots of you at home also work in education, and so teaching is your bread and butter. But maybe some of you are parents trying to teach your children how to walk or talk or hold a knife and fork. If you've got older children, you might be teaching them the skills that they need to live independently, how to make scrambled eggs and do the laundry. Or maybe you're younger and you've got the hardest job of all, teaching your parents and grandparents how to use technology. (laughs) I imagine most of us in the room have had to teach somebody something at some point. Now let me flip the question around. What was the last thing that you learned? My lovely husband, Elliot, has recently been learning how to make bread. He's mastered a white bloomer, and now we're moving on to the more advanced skills of baguette making and croissants. Uh, Yeah, it's quite impressive, isn't it? It genuinely is quite impressive. (laughs) Um, Or maybe what you're learning is a little bit deeper than making bread. I know for me, I am a chronic people pleaser. I hate saying no to things. I hate letting people down. I have these vivid memories of being a teenager and rushing all over Sheffield, trying to make it to all my different extracurricular activities, church, friendships. And I would do that for about six to eight weeks at 100% capacity. And I would end up making myself ill. I had no concept of putting in boundaries, no concept of saying no to things. My parents were always sitting me down and going, Sarah, you're doing too much. You need to slow down. And I would make myself ill. I would burn out, take a couple of days off school, and then the cycle would start again. But over the last 10 years or so, I've been learning to set boundaries how to look after myself, how to say no when I need to. But the truth is, although I've learned a lot over the last 10 years, that need to please people, that need to say yes to things, is still within me. It's still a part of who I am. I just have a few more coping mechanisms for making sure I don't take it too far. When I, every time I switch context, every time I start a new thing, I have to relearn how to set those boundaries. So when I came to university in 2014 and suddenly it felt like every opportunity in the world was open to me, I had to learn what it meant to set boundaries in that context. And then when I started work and suddenly I was contractually obliged to commit to something for at least 40 hours a week, I had to learn what it meant to set boundaries in that context. Then we had a pandemic and I couldn't say yes to anything for 18 months. And now as we begin to come out of the pandemic, I'm learning all over again 
how to set boundaries, how to say no to things, how to know when actually I need to save a weekend for myself. You see, over the last 10 years, I've learned, but I have to continue relearning and relearning and relearning every time I switch contexts. My dad is a very wise but slightly scary man. And he said something to me a few years ago. He said, Sarah, I'm 60 years old. I'm still learning the same things that I was in my 20s. Initially, I thought, oh gosh, that's a bit bleak, isn't it? <laughs> and I do think that a healthy dose of cynicism is a classic Dowdswell family trait. But I also think there's something in what my dad said. Not that we can never learn or improve, but that for so many of us, we spend significant chunks of our lives struggling with the same things over and over again. Whether that is people-pleasing and overworking like me, or finding it difficult to put yourself out there, or putting up walls in relationships, whatever it is, I think sometimes we expect it that we're going to have this moment and then everything is going to be sorted. Whatever it is that is causing us the problems, and it's done. No longer do I feel like I need to have the people pleased. But I think that often isn't the way that it happens, is it? Often we do have to relearn and relearn and relearn. And actually, learning and changing is a slow burn process. It's very rarely a straight line up and to the right. Now, all of this is not to say that God is not capable of changing things in a moment. You know, we believe in a supernatural God who has the power to transform things in a second. And all of this is not to say that that is not possible and we should be pushing and praying for those things. But I think when it comes to the long burning process of maturing in our faith, it is a slow burn process. <laughs> is a painful process. It can take relearning things over and over and over again. Which brings me to my favourite Jesus story. The feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Most of you have probably heard the feeding of the 5,000 with the bread and the fish and the people and Jesus, but you might not know that it has a younger sibling, the feeding of the 4,000. Some scholars have suggested that actually they're the same event and they've been muddled up and people have got confused over the year and they're written down in a bit of a weird way. But I personally don't think that's true. As are lots of other scholars, I'm not. That's not just, I'm not on my own in that opinion. <laughs> there is other scholars that think the same as me. You see, the feeding of the 4,000, uh, the 5,000 is recorded in all four Gospels. And that means we're fairly sure that it happened because there's multiple different accounts of the same thing. The feeding of the 4,000 is recorded in both Matthew and Mark. If it was just one of them, I reckon you could argue that maybe they'd done that thing where they dream about something that's happened and they think it's real and they've written it down or they just got a bit confused about how many people were there and which day of the week it was. But the fact that there are, there are two accounts of this miracle with such similar and such exact details suggests that they both happened. I think it would be very weird if both of them had got so confused. 
So let's dig in and read some passages. I'm going to read from Mark 6 and Mark 8, but you can also find the accounts in Matthew 14 and 15. I'm going to read from my real Bible, not an electronic one, which means I have to find the passages. Okay, Mark 6, 30 to 44 is where we are going first. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take almost a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish, the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. It's an incredible miracle, isn't it? Turn the page. We hit Mark 8, verses 1 to 13. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciple answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. And having sent them away, he got in the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Damanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. These passages are so similar that it's almost difficult to separate them in our heads. So what I've done is I've made a little table (laughs) 
to show us the differences between them. Here we go. So we can see that in Matthew 14 and Mark 6, which is where we see the feeding of the 5,000, there are 5,000 people fed with five loaves and two fish, and there are 12 baskets left over. And we think that that took place likely near Bethsaida, judging on the kind of context in which the kind of the passages beforehand, it looks like they're in Bethsaida. Then the feeding of the 4,000. 4,000 people, seven loaves and a few fish this time. I don't know how many a few fishes. I'm going to guess like three maybe. Um, seven baskets left over and in the region of Decapolis, which is a collection of 10 Greek cities. So why have both Mark and Matthew decided that it is worth recording such similar miracles? Surely, after the feeding of the 5,000, everybody was so wowed that they would never question the provision of God again. Well, I think this is where we go back to the idea of learning and teaching. Whether you're learning or you're teaching, you'll know that it can take going over something time and time again before you really get it into somebody's head. I like to dance. I'm a dancer. I've grown up dancing. And uh, in the kind of latter stages of my teenage year, I used to teach quite a lot of dancing. I used to teach a class of four-year-olds, and this was a, like first ever dance class and the first thing we would teach them was how to skip I don't know if you've ever tried to break down how you skip but it's basically like a hop and then a step and then a hop and then if you keep doing that you end up skipping and so I would stand in one corner of the dance studio and all the three and four year olds would be in the kind of opposite corner and I crouch down on the floor and go hop step hop step hop step and these little kids would kind of do some kind of like little dance across the floor and every week I would go hop step hop step hop step hoping that it would get into their heads that that is how you skip and eventually they would get it maybe towards the end of the class and then they'd come back next week and we'd be straight back to the beginning and I would get so frustrated I would be I'd leave and be like how can it be so difficult to skip how can you forget how to do a hop and then a step but you know of course these are little children and they're gonna take some time to learn and I think this is what's happening with the disciples I think they're learning how to skip the disciples witnessed this incredible miracle. Jesus provides for 5,000 people with the food it takes to feed a small family for a few days. What a thing to witness. What an encounter with God. It's a mind-bending miracle. Can you imagine being there and seeing that happen? Knowing that you've just witnessed an event that will surely go down in history. Bethsaida, where the feeding of the 5,000 took place, is towards the north of the Sea of Galilee. Decapolis is kind of south. I looked at it on a map. Wikipedia tells me that the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long. So I think we're probably talking maybe a maximum of 30, 40 miles between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. That is 30 miles to unlearn God's faithfulness, his provision, his strength, his compassion. 
And 30 miles later, we see the disciples asking again, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? Can you imagine Jesus's reaction in that moment? If it was me, I'd go, are you kidding? We did this 30 miles ago. If it was me, I would get cross, I'd get frustrated. I'd say, how have you just seen that? And now you're questioning it again. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus responds with kindness. He responds with grace, as he always does. He simply repeats exactly as he did before. He asks how much food they have, and he multiplies it, and he feeds the masses. Jesus could have reacted with frustration. He could have reacted by getting cross. Instead, he is kind. And he creates a learning moment for the disciples. He understands that as humans, we need to learn and relearn and relearn over and over again. I think this is important for us as Christians. If we want to be disciples for the rest of our lives, and this is a really important point that we might need to learn and relearn and relearn over and over again, and that Jesus is okay with that. He is okay that we need to relearn things. He is okay that I am going to need to relearn how to manage my work, how to set boundaries again and again and again. If I leave my current job, he knows I'm going to need to relearn it again in a new one. If me and Elliot move somewhere new, he knows that I'm going to have to relearn it again in a new context. And he is okay with that because that is part of discipleship. And there are two words that I want you to hold on to for the end of this. A very quick talk, hasn't it? The first is grace and the second is perseverance. We'll start with grace. I think quite a few of these my favourite Jesus stories have landed on grace. I'm particularly thinking of Liz's a few weeks ago. I think there's a really good reason for that. Because that is where it all comes back to, isn't it? It all comes back to grace. Jesus came that there might be grace for us in our brokenness. Jesus has so much grace for his disciples in between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. He doesn't rebuke them for not having faith or not remembering what happened 30 miles up the road. He is a slow and patient teacher. So for us, where we might stumble and fall at the same thing time and time again, please know that there is so much grace in that. Jesus is our slow and patient teacher. So if there is something that you are struggling with, where you are stuck in a cycle of sin and repentance and sin and repentance and sin and repentance, and it just feels never ending, please know that there is grace in that, that Jesus wants to meet you in that cycle, that he is okay with that cycle needing to repeat again and again and again until you finally have that moment. It's okay if it takes us time to learn things because there is endless grace. 
no matter how long it takes us, if like my dad, you are still learning the same things in your 60s as you were in your 20s, there is still grace. And the second thing is perseverance. I think these passages should inspire us to perseverance. Paul talks so much about perseverance in his letters and one of my favourite passages is in Hebrews and he says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we have received the grace of God, if we truly know that we can accept his grace again and again and again, then that should compel us to persevere. It should compel us to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and run. Because there is no mistake we can make or wrong turn that we can take that is outside of the grace of God. So we have the freedom to keep trying. We can try and spectacularly fail if we have to. Because the grace of God is there. It means that we don't have to just accept that cycle of sin and repent and sin and repent. It gives us the freedom to keep pushing forward, to try different ways of doing things, to seek out new answers, to let Jesus come and transform our lives, even if that begins again every single morning. If we truly understand the grace of God, that should compel us to persevere. So grace and perseverance, I think those are the two things that we hold on to at the end of this. And that's my favourite Jesus story. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that it is new every morning. We thank you that you are our slow and patient teacher. And God, where there are people in the room who feel that cycle of sin and repent and sin and repent, who feel that they are learning the same things over and over again, God, we pray that you would break through. We pray that your grace would come and surround them. That they would know your presence with them. That they would know that whatever it is that they are struggling with, it's never too far from you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to persevere in our walks of faith. That we would run the race with endurance, knowing that there is No mistake we can make, wrong turn that we can take, that will take us away from you. Yeah, God, I just pray that you would bless everybody here, that we would feel the freedom to learn and relearn over and over again for however long it takes. We thank you that you are so slow, so patient, so kind, so graceful. And we choose to accept that and rest in that. Thank you, God, for your grace.